Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today in the pod, co-host Jolyn rejoins us to talk about co-parenting in the spaces we afford our partners. And later, Christina Toth and Tony Hebert join us from the New Hampshire State Prison in Concord. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. .nhcf.org. Today's show is also brought to you by New Hampshire Children's Trust's ninth Annual Summit, Parents Leading the Way. On September 22nd, the Children's Trust will be hosting an engaging virtual experience, convening parent leaders and professionals from across the Granite State to showcase the work of parent leaders and the agencies that support them. The focus? Parents as experts of their own experience using their voice to advocate for their families, improve their communities, and build more family-centered systems through policy change. Sign up now at nhchildrenstrust.org. Hello and welcome to today's podcast and a very special welcome back to my co-host, Jolyn Drennan. Jolyn, welcome back. So we're still co-hosts then? Yeah. They, yes, we are still co-hosts. I was just wondering because, you know, I noticed that you had some particularly, uh, you know, good chemistry with your your most recent uh, co-host. Jolyn, that's not that's not how it works. I'm supposed to have friendly conversations with people. I ask questions. They say things. I make a joke. People laugh. Oh, how they laugh. Almost too much laughter. It's a never ending sea of joy. And then here you are, you're back. I'm not laughing. You're not funny. (laughs) So um, what I want to talk about today is parenting versus co-parenting, because personally, I've been thinking a lot about the parenting journey. Do you say that you and Tom parent or that you co-parent? Um, I think it's a little, it's a mix. So I think we, we, we certainly co-parent. Um, we try to be, you know, one unit as a, you know, a team. Um, but I think we both, we have different styles. So trying to unify styles um, is just something we have to be really intentional about. Right. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been considering my own and um it just occurred to me just how important it is to acknowledge that those different styles exist, especially when trying to, like you said, to unify. Can you describe your parenting style? Um, hmm. So I am very intentional about the way I respond to um, to my son. So I'm, I'm always just trying to think of the way that I respond to him. Um, you know, if, like if I'm aggravated and he's asking me for something and um, or just I, I'm always thinking about how this will land with him. At, um, and I'm very concerned about just like, oh, what if this is what if this is the time that I say the wrong thing? And 25 years from now, he's going to be like, you remember, <laughs> you know, mm. remember when you did that? Um, no. So I guess I am pretty like pragmatic. I don't take any, um, a lot of guff from my son, um, but he doesn't give that much either. Um, and if you know what the word guff is, that's a, that's a term that my dad liked to say when we were mouthing off. Insert old world cartoon. <laughs> like, wow, stop giving them guff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just very intentional about the way, cause I know that the way that I respond to react to, um, to my son based on his like developmental stage and all of 
of those things, um, it, it has an impact. And so I try to be as, you know, just as, as, as calm and caring and, um, like always to look behind a behavior and say, right. like, okay, why is he asking me this or why is he responding this way? And I don't have all the answers all the time, but I think it's, I guess the reason why I'm asking is because it, it sounds like, well, one, it sounds like that takes an incredible amount of intention. Like you're saying intentionality, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes all of those things, all of which I think in the parenting journey are hard to come by, you know, and you can't really anticipate reaction or long-term effect of what you do. And then that's just one person, right? Now you layer on top of that a second person who is equally as authoritative in the relationship, but also is equally as qualified by virtue of the fact that they have to do it just like you, who might have a different position on it. So what's Tom's style? Um, Tom is very, he's, he's very traditional. I would say he, so we grew up very, very differently. He kind of commands respect, but he is, you know, out in the yard playing. Um, neither one of us is on, on an extreme end of anything. Who's the snuggler? Who's the snuggler? <laughs> Me. I'm like the snuggler where my sons look down the bench and they're like, <laughs> part of my thinking around that is because, you know, I too, like my wife and I were just at the ocean and I'm a little more hands-on, I guess, than I should be with things like shoes, socks, all of that really disruptive stuff. But then weirdly, when it comes to the ocean, I'm like, you know, hey, if, if you hit Portugal, I'll just, I'll send for you. <laughs> but to, in my defense, though, my wife thinks a riptide can open up anywhere, anytime, any place, like a bathtub. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm so curious on how other people navigate that space because say you and Tom have a different perspective on say authority, discipline, conversations, even around attention, intentionality. How do you guys like afford each other or carve out space in your parenting for your child's betterment without getting in the way? Oh, so I feel like I do more of the redirecting of parenting <laughs> than Tom does. Um, a lot of the times where he just like responds to things and and, I, and I'm and I'm always quick to be like, hey, did you think about how that might have landed with him? <laughs> um, you know, and or like or you know maybe that that's not helpful. So actually, we're trying to learn to tie shoes right now, which is an incredibly difficult task for a seven-year-old, which I didn't realize. It's actually, I think it's more difficult to teach someone that, a, a child, how to tie shoes because it's so like automatic. So Tom trying to um, teach Wiley, he shows it to him and then he's done. And then, you know, his expectation is Wiley's going to watch and, and learn it. And I am different where I'm just like, okay, now we're going to step by step, you know, and that's, um, so so that's kind of, I guess, where we differ where he's just like, this is... When I was younger, my dad used to say the same thing he just said, but louder. <laughs> Explaining things is one thing. Disciplining, let's say about the, ooh, how did that land? Because I think that too, but I think like, you know, part of what we do is constantly try to understand what makes a child more successful and a child thrive, which is an impossible position to put your partner in because you have to think about it as a career. Sorry, Tom. Uh <laughs> 
But what does that look like then the conversation? What happens when people don't agree? What happens when you don't agree with the way something has happened? Um, so I'll, I'll, um, you know, I'll point it out and, and he's actually usually really receptive. I feel like for the most part, we're a pretty good team. And then, yeah. And then when there are like little things, he, Tom does take, take redirection really well, but he very rarely will redirect me. But I think it's interesting because that's like, I think what I'm wrestling with right now is what do I need to change? So to be more receptive as a co-parent, I guess I'd put that same question to you. What do you think you need to change? to be more receptive as a co-parent? I think I have to to realize that, you know, uh, that we are two different people. And so the way that I handle something is not necessarily the way that uh, my husband would. And, and that's okay because what works for him will work for him and what works for me, you know, works for me. Um, I totally agree. I've been thinking a lot about context. I think there is, you know, this effort or maybe it's just my family, but this effort to unify context and say, okay, everything has to be predictable and the same, but never have I gone into a library and talked the way I talk out on the street. Context of, you know, your space dictates how you should behave and, you know, working on that, but teaching context, I think is tough because you won't teach it until it's defied. You know what I mean? Like you can't jump on grandma the way that you can jump on or that you do jump on, say your little brother or whatever, you know? And so then all of a sudden there's this learning of context. And I wonder about that is actually um, something that is an asset for children rather than confusing. I think it is. I think that's actually a really good point to make is that kind of like the basic message is the same, how it's delivered is, um, you know, it, it is relative to, to, to what your situation is. And, and I think that actually teaches kids um, to be, uh, you know, adaptable and teaches resilience and it teaches, I mean, it teaches manners that, yeah, you know, two, two completely different situations. I think so too, because there are places where con- the, the context of parenting and the context that the children are in are vastly different and in many ways more difficult. Like, let's say you have a deployment for the armed forces. Let's say you have a parent working remotely in a, you know, of various location or even incarcerated parents, and you're trying to make a unified effort that teaching context or being able to show context, and there are agencies out there that do it, is critically important for the development of the family. Yeah, that's deep. And when we come back, I have the pleasure of talking to Christina Toth, administrator of one of those organizations, the Family Connection Center within New Hampshire's Department of Corrections, and father of three, Tony Hebert. Don't go anywhere. Today's show was also brought to you by the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy and Protection Program, a multidisciplinary program with the Children's Hospital established to evaluate and provide integrative care to suspected victims of child maltreatment. Together, a team of physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists work to provide consultation and evaluations of children who are suspected victims of abuse, so to serve in the best interest of children and families at multiple levels of prevention. For more information about Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy Protection Program, visit www.chadkids.org backslash child dash advocacy. This podcast was also brought to you by the Parent Information Center and New Hampshire Family Voices, which are statewide organizations that have been working with families, children, and the professionals that support them for over 40 years. They provide information and training to help families, providers, and systems builders make informed decisions so that New Hampshire families can get the support they need to see their children thrive. To learn more, go to PICNH.org or NHVF.org. 
today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Christina Toth, Administrator of the Family Connection Center inside New Hampshire's Department of Corrections, and Tony Hebert, an incarcerated father and participant of FCC programming. Christina, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. Appreciate being here. So last time I saw both of you, though this was pre-COVID, I remember walking through the New Hampshire State Prison for Men in Concord into what looks like a preschool. And uh, as I walked in, I'm, I'm seeing colorful hand paintings everywhere, wall-to-wall books, children's books and toys. And I remember thinking, how did this come to be? Christina, can you give me a quick background of the origins of the Family Connection Center and the thought process behind it? So about 24 years ago, I worked at the Laconia State Prison, which was a co-ed prison. And we all noticed as staff there that we would have grandparents coming to drop off children to visit with mom, wait a few hours, and then have the same children visit with their father. And we realized there's a, a lot of parents in prison. So we started working with the University of New Hampshire, their cooperative extension program and their family studies department. And we created a program to support the parents inside and their children and work with the children's caregivers. And now 23 years later, we are at all the state prisons and minimum security units. There must have been, it must have been quite a lift to get that off the ground. Yeah, there has been more challenges than I can even try to remember of trying to get it. The idea of um, children even being in prison or actually even correction staff talking to the families of incarcerated individuals was foreign. Like that's something you did not do. Traditionally, corrections for hundreds of years is you just work with the inmate and you don't talk with a family and you a lot of times lock them up, sometimes give some programming. So this was kind of a foreign idea of um, working with the family, talking to the caregivers, talking to the kids and even having the children come in. In Laconia, we had them come in for semi-private visits. So the children were by themselves with their incarcerated parent, with the Family Connection Center staff supervising. And because you run into those challenges, I imagine there's a counter thought process that says don't do that. You don't think that way. You don't mix these two elements. Then there's your thought process, which is, of course, why wouldn't we, right? So what drives that? What is the benefit to the programming that you are now offering at the Family Connection Center? Yeah, so there's, um, over the years, we've had a lot of publicity, most of it good, but there's a lot of people in the community that said that people in prison are bad people, which means they're bad parents, which means they shouldn't even talk to their kids, which is ridiculous. I mean, it just is makes no sense. We know that more than 50% of inmates are parents of minor children. We know most of those parents are still parenting. Most of them are getting out and they're going to be with their kids. So why not support them as parents while they're incarcerated, support the families and the kids on the outside if possible, and then helpfully help for, you know, keeping healthy interactions between the two. So when they get out, it's not a huge transition for the child or for the parent. We feel that everybody, I as a parent, feel that everyone should take a parenting class before you have kids. And so we have to do an 18-hour parenting class. Then there's a 10-hour healthy relationships class. And then parents attend a weekly parenting support group, just kind of checking in what's going on with you, going on with your kids, or maybe something happened in the community, such as COVID, or how do you talk to your kids about sex or bullying, anything like that. And then um, that's the basic core programming. After that, parents can choose if they want to attend life skills seminars, if they want to record audiobooks and send home the audio recordings and brand new books home to their kids, or if they want to um, be involved in the Skype visits. We've been doing that since 2008, so pre COVID. We increased it during COVID and we've actually kept that up. So they can do weekly visits with their children and they can help with homework. They can, you know, we've had kids do science experiments. They can meet the new family cat, things like that. The This past year, we've actually increased programming to um, work with the UNH Marriage and Family Therapy Program and we're offering family counseling. We're also offering, offering family reentry planning where the parent 
and the caregiver on the outside will work with a mediator to talk about how to transition back home. And again, that's virtual video visiting. We are also doing a refresher for reentry, a parenting class. Some some parents have been in prison for a very long time. So they took a parenting class, you know, four or five years ago. And as they're getting ready to get out, it's a kind of a refresher as to now your child is a teenager. What does that mean? What is, you know, social media influence, things like that. You know, and Tony, I'm so curious how did you come to find yourself at the Family Connection Center and participate in, in what it offers? How, how did you land there? So for me, um, starting out in the county, once I knew that I was uh, going to be coming into prison, you know, it's just kind of overwhelming just thinking about how this was going to affect the kids. And I had to go through the uh, higher security, you know, because of the nature of my charge. So I started hearing about this program right from the door. Hey, man, FCC this, FCC that. And I'm like, all right, sounds cool. What is this? Looked into it. And then I found out I couldn't go right away. I had to go to C4 and go that route. And once I finally got out of there, well, our unit lieutenant, you know, he said, hey, man, this is be a great program for you. I think uh, you can benefit from this. You seem like a family man. I think your kids will benefit from this. And he actually uh, called down here to the FCC and referred me. And I uh, jumped in there from there, just dove head in head first, man. It's just been amazing since then. I had a, a unique experience when I walked through the door into it. It felt like I could breathe. It was a different place for me as a dad to enter, given everything around. How does that feel to you when you enter that space versus when you're outside of that space? Yeah, I mean, it's a totally different vibe in here. And like you said, you can tell that from the door. For me, I teach this to other guys as well who wants to be a part of FCC, who come to FCC. Like I kind of say, you know, hang the politics and hang the prison stuff up at the door because it's just a different feeling here. You don't feel like, you know... You have all these extra things that you deal with. It's uh, kind of indescribable, really. It's just you feel different while you're here. And I imagine that, you know, as an incarcerated parent, there are some unique challenges to you and your family. Can you talk about a little bit about how connections are made given circumstances? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges from the start is just the amount of time that you have to, you know, engage and be involved in your children's lives. I mean, from the start, that no matter what is going on, it's going to be in your mind, especially when you're family focused and that's at the center of your attention. That's what you're trying to fight to get back to. That's what's most important for you. So, I mean, there's all kinds of challenges from having a, a say with discipline and, you know, just having a, your voice heard, having your kids understand that, you know, this is kind of like temporary thing. Hopefully it's temporary for any of the fathers who are involved with the FCC. And there will be changes, you know, once you're here, while you're in here, when you come home. I mean, it's just challenges as your kids wanting you home. I mean, the FCC provides all these great services, the Skype visits, and it kind of becomes normal, you know, for you and your children. And then there's always that next step where it's like, well, when are you coming home? When is when do you be here? Like, this is great. This is awesome. And, you know, it just makes it feel so normal for your kids that they're wanting the next step. And, you know, just that can provide a very big challenge for your kids as well. I mean, once you take classes and you, you're involved with so many different things, you kind of get like a foundation of, you know, all right, you know how to do this and how to do that and what not to do and what to do this. You know, you kind of get the, the directions. But some of my aha moments is like, Oh, wait, 
it, what works for my son doesn't work for my daughter mm-hmm. <laughs> and vice versa. You know, having the knowledge and the skills to navigate that kind of was like, oh, so I, I can totally be a different, be the same father, but be different support for each child. It's just always like, oh, because, you know, sometimes in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just do the same. I've been doing the same thing for all three of my kids since they've been younger, since they've been babies. And I was like getting older, they're growing there got their own little mindsets, things kind of changing. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. I'm in this phase now where it's like what worked yesterday doesn't work today. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, Christina, I'm, I'm wondering too, how has programming changed then to meet the shifting needs of incarcerated parents over the years? So we've had to evolve technology-wise for sure, because we started with recording books on cassette tapes and sending those home. And then things change. Even right now we um, burn CDs, but a lot of kids don't have those. So now we've got to figure that out and, you know, do digital files. But programmatically we've expanded. Um, As I said, we were doing the video visits before COVID, but now it's much more accepted and much easier. Um, Some families was really kind of foreign when we were talking about Skype and video visiting. Now, because of the schools and kids having to do that during COVID, it's kind of the norm and people are very comfortable with it. That has also helped with our um, family counseling piece and our family reentry piece, because again, a lot of times it's really foreign, the idea of a, a therapist on you know one place, an inmate or an incarcerated parent one place, and then the caregiver the other place. Now it's the norm. Telemedicine is a norm. So that has been good. Another um, plus that came about is before COVID is we've partnered with Waypoint and we are um, now doing referrals from any jail, most jails in New Hampshire and all the prisons. A moment a parent of a minor child becomes incarcerated, they can sign up to get free help from their local family resource center. We are also running support groups. We have four different support groups for kids and two different ones for caregivers. And prior to COVID, we were trying to figure out how are we going to do, you know, a kids group for young kids, like in Rockingham County, but what about the person in Coas and how are they going to get there? And, And now we're doing them virtually. So kids all over the state have access and they're using it and it's working and it's great. So definitely COVID, oddly enough, has kind of helped make it more accepted, make people more willing to do it and feel comfortable doing it. So those support groups statewide for the caregivers and kids are working and doing really well, really well and getting support and help working by collaborating with the Family Resource Center. So we are increasing protective factors for kids in New Hampshire. Yeah, that's great. Uh, are there gaps you're still seeing? There are some gaps. We have some um some places are maybe not as open to signing on to joining the project. We're still trying to educate people about the families affected by incarceration as much as you know, we've been running this program in the prison for 20 plus years. A lot of people are still kind of nervous and scared of the idea of working with anyone that has anything to do with incarceration. So I've worked with New Futures trying to promote and educate um, working with families affected by incarceration. We've showed a documentary around the state called Trey Mason Desan about three boys in Rhode Island who have an incarcerated parent. And that is online. Amazon people can rent it. And we have one last big event at Smitty's Theater, October 5th, and we'll be Zooming it as well to show the documentary and then have a panel discussion afterwards. And we have um, a father who has been incarcerated. We have a child whose mother was incarcerated when he was a teenager and his father was incarcerated when he was a young boy at the Laconia prison. And he talks about what it's been like and ways to help. And we're really targeting a lot of, um, you know, teachers and how do you work with kids with incarcer- affected by incarceration. Tony, regarding your, your own kids, I mean, clearly, you know, going through all this programming, you've got to have hopes for them in their lives and their own experience as young adults and maybe as parents themselves. 
Yeah, so I mean, obviously the biggest one that stands out is just, you know, statistics. I would hate to see any of my kids have to, you know, come through these same footsteps as my own. And, um, you know, that's a big hope for me is that by me being a part of this program and me doing what I do while I'm in here, you know, the rehabilitation and the programs and the education, it just it shows them like you make mistakes, things happen, unfortunately. But sometimes what you do afterwards can still lead down a positive path and a life, a successful life. So my hopes is that my kids can see that in me, that i say this all the time. I want to be the hero. I want to say underdog stories or inspiring stories where, you know, your guy has a major fault or incident happened and he comes back and he turns everything around through hard work and dedication. So I hope that they see that in me and that is instilled in them as they get older and become young adults and parents themselves. And I mean, I just, I really hope that they see the, you know, how much work that I've put in to try to still be a good father for them, even, you know, in this situation, you know, uh, I'll make sure that this becomes a priority because I understand how important that is for my children. I also understand how important that is for me. Yeah. Well, when you do get out, you look me up. I'd love to meet you and your family. Yeah. I would would love that as well. Actually, Christina, Tony, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Please come back soon and let me know when you have time because I want to bring you guys back. Sure. Great. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Anytime. I very much appreciate you guys having me. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now.